But uh, now she's married to this handsome young man up, up front here, and I've grown to love this couple so much over the last four or five years of working here at St. John's and being part of the congregation. And I think it's just so appropriate. Jill is the worship director here. Lee's involved in the choir and many, many other things that they do with St. John's for St. John's. And so I'm just, it's my pleasure to be able to introduce Jill to you. And she's going to talk about something and show you some footage and video footage that I think's just going to hit home, especially in light of our last song. Let's welcome Jill Meyer. Thank you, everybody. Before I get started, I'd like to uh, personally thank Jeff and Nina for allowing me this opportunity to teach you something today. Have you ever been in a storm? Now, I'm not talking about the little bit of rain, the 10-minute showers that we get here in Colorado. I'm talking about the magnificent fury of weather that the sky can manifest. Pelting rain coming from the sky so hard that it sounds like a lot of people clapping. Rolling thunder that just warning you that the Big Bang is not too far behind. Flashes of lightning that illuminate the dark sky. And then there's that eerie pause of silence that leaves you thinking to yourself, oh, that was a bright flash. And you think for a couple seconds you're in the all clear. Well, okay, I'm surprised that didn't create, and then it happens. Boom! The loudest explosion of thunder that scares the pants off of you, shakes the house, jolts your heart a little bit, sends the poor dogs running for their life to the closet or to hide under the bed. You know, when you were a kid, your mom always told you that it was God and the angels bowling. And woo, that one was a strike, so you wouldn't be afraid. I spent my early childhood in central Illinois. It's a pretty boring place, really, unless you're a farmer. We were not. There's not much there except a lot of corn and soybean fields. This particular part of Illinois gets a fair amount of rain and thunderstorms that can spur up tornadoes. We would often visit my grandparents' house, who lived very close to us. I remember being at my grandma and grandpa's house several times when the tornado sirens would go off. My grandparents lived in a yellow ranch-style house that had a detached garage in a partially finished basement. When the sirens went off, we would huddle downstairs as a family and listen to the weather report on the radio to find out the location of the tornado. My knowledge of tornadoes at this time was very limited. I was a small child. I knew what a tornado was from watching The Wizard of Oz, and I was scared. Not that we would end up in Munchkinland, but because I knew tornadoes were damaging and could fling houses into the air. My little mind was stressing if the tornado was going to come and destroy my grandma and grandpa's house. I'm not sure how long we were in the basement, 
But my, in my mind, it felt like a long time. I'd listen to all the grown-ups talk about where the tornado was, and we would wait. Finally, the sirens subsided, and the guy on the other end of the radio told us that the tornado had dissipated, and we were all clear to go back upstairs. I want to show you a movie clip from one of my absolute favorite scenes in one of my absolute favorite series, The Chosen. Perhaps you've seen it. Let me set the scene for you so we get an idea about what this day has been like for Jesus and his disciples. Okay, prior to this scene, Jesus just got done with the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and he sends his disciples back to the boat. He wanted to clear the crowds and told them to go on ahead of him. He wanted to go up to the mountain to pray after he dispersed the crowds, and by the time he was finished, the disciples had already gone ahead in the boat, and they were crossing what we know as the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to show you a map of Galilee and give you some fun facts. This is not a sea. It's actually a freshwater lake. This was a popular commercial area. Most of the roads in ancient Galilee passed near the sea. There's an upper Galilee and a lower Galilee and a Decapolis. The Decapolis is known as the area southeast of the Sea of Galilee. It stems from the Greek word deca, which means 10, and polis, which means city. Hence, this area had 10 cities within its borders. Jesus did some of his ministry work and miracles in this area of the Decapolis. This is an area inhabited, most, inhabited mostly by Gentiles, not Jews, and had a strong Greek influence. Upper Galilee has many mountain ranges averaging around 4,000 feet, and Lower Galilee has smaller hills of 1,000 feet. This is a subtropical area, and due to the geological features on either side, severe storms occur regularly on its waters. So back to our story. As the disciples are crossing the storm, or the sea, an intense storm came, the kind of storm that we were talking about before. The water was turbulent, waves are crashing, the lightning's flashing, and the thunder is roaring must have been scary for them. Being stuck out on the water with nothing more than an ancient fishing boat as shelter. Now remember, this happens right on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000 miracle. The disciples are learning who Jesus is, but there is still some room for growth. Let's have a look. Much 
let me go. I got you. Please. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Don't let me go. I have much planned for you, Simon. Including hard things. Just keep your eyes on me. I promise. What storms do you have going on in your life right now? We all have them. Jobs, finances, kids, health, relationships, important decisions that you have to make. When you are in the middle of your storm, when you're really tested, when you're tired, when you are in trouble, who do you turn to? Think about that for a moment. Who is the first person that you call on for help, for support? Mom, dad, spouse, sister, brother, friend? Because I call my husband first. He's the first person I call when something's going on with me. I know he's gonna be there for me, I know he cares about me. I know he supports me. Then I call my best friends because I'm needy. I encountered a life storm this past week. I've had some medical issues that manifested and I had to get some testing done. The doctors prescribed me some antibiotics and I took them but they weren't helping my situation. I had to go back into the doctor to show her my symptoms were worsening, and she asked me, why didn't you call me sooner? Do you think Jesus ever thinks that of us? Why didn't you call me sooner? Why don't we call on Jesus sooner? How many of you, either yourself or someone you know, had a situation that got so bad, so messed up, so out of control that they've called everyone they know, what should I do, how should I do it, can you help me, after going through everybody on their phone, they say, well, all we can do now is pray. I mean, if we're being honest with each other, I know I have. Isaiah thirty nineteen says, you don't need to cry anymore. The Lord is kind. And as soon as you get your act together, I mean, as soon as you start being a better person, 
Oh, wait. As soon as you go back and repair every relationship that you've ever messed up, as soon as you throw more money in the plate, as soon as you memorize Isaiah 30, as soon as you lose weight, as soon as you get saved, as soon as you stop doubting, as soon as you stop second-guessing everything, that's not what he says. He says, as soon as he hears your cries for help, he will come. Simon, who we know as Peter, felt intensely confident with his relationship with Jesus that he asked Jesus to command him to come on the water. And what did the disciples say? Immediately, no, what? Don't be foolish. Are you out of your mind? These guys are the first eyewitnesses of the second miracle of the day. The first miracle was with Jesus feeding the 5,000, and now Jesus is standing on the water. And yet they continue to be fearful of what might happen to their friend Peter. Going on with our story, Matthew 14, 29 through 30, and he, Jesus, said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And when he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter's baby steps of faith only lasted a few short moments. When he stepped out of the boat, he was full of good intentions. Aren't we similar? We take a leap of faith with good intentions, but then when things get hard and things aren't going the way we expect them to, our faith soon falters. Jeff talked about this last week with spatial versus dimensional thinking. Our human minds are stuck in this space. What we can see, what we can touch, what we can hear, what we can experience. Our faith doesn't falter because God has been inconsistent or because God doesn't listen to us or because he is punishing us. Our faith falters because we have a false perception of what God is supposed to accomplish. I want to say that again. Our faith falters because we have a false perception of what God is supposed to accomplish. In the film clip, Jesus asked Peter, why do you think I allow trials? Then he answers his own question, saying, it strengthens you. Jesus is telling us that in the storms of our life, they are there to strengthen us. And doesn't our faith always have room for growth? Well, Jesus, I'm in a situation, I'm trying to keep my faith, and I still don't know what to do. And then what does he tell Peter? He says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me because I got you. Peter didn't start to sink until he looked away. What causes us to look away from Jesus? Fear of an angry God? Anybody got the good old Catholic or Lutheran guilt? Shame? I'm so hard on myself. How could God love me? I cuss, I drink, I'm divorced, I'm gay. 
I've done too many bad things in my life to be forgiven. How many of you guys have heard this from a friend? Well, I can't go to church because if I walk into the church, the whole place will go up in flames. (laughs) I'm not righteous enough. I don't fit the mold that many Christian circles require, and they say if I don't live the right way, God is going to send me to hell. You got the fear of not being enough? Why would God love someone like me? I'm not the smartest. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I can't even stand myself. I say stupid things. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have much to offer. God has a response to these fears and causes for when you look away. Again, be honest with yourself. We all beat ourselves up. We all look away. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. Remember Isaiah 30, 19? As soon as you call on Jesus, he will be there. God's got you. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. The Hebrew word for mercy is chesed, which can be translated to his promise of loving kindness. God's mercy is mediated through the covenant, his promise to mankind. Well, what does he promise? He promises protection, provision, that means to provide, guidance, and his constant presence. Because God is the initiator, the mercy he gives is gracious, unmerited, and undeserved. This means no matter what you have done, What you will do, what you think of yourself or your situation, God's got you. You don't believe me? Well, let's analyze this through Peter. Jesus did not chastise Peter because he looked away. He didn't let Peter sink and say, Well, Peter, you didn't keep your eyes on me. You just weren't a good enough disciple, Peter. So good luck to you as he watches him sink to the bottom. He didn't punish Peter in his moment of doubt. He didn't bring Peter back on the boat and give him a lecture on how he needs to be better. Peter, you need to listen better. You need to pay attention, and you need to learn to follow directions. He didn't do that. He reached out his hand, and he helped Peter back into the boat, and he hugged him, and he said, I got you. Remember the humanity of Jesus that we previously talked about? Just like any of us would do for our friend who was fearful or doubtful, or just made a wrong decision. Jesus gave Peter a hug, held him tight, and reminded him, I got you. Wouldn't you do that for your friend? You might be questioning, saying, well, what about him saying, oh, you of little faith? Why did you doubt? That wasn't a reprimand. That was a reminder 
a reminder to Peter and to all of us that when doubt creeps in, and it will, and life happens as it does, remember, Jesus said, I got you. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt me. Don't doubt yourself. I got you. What do you think Peter was discovering when he stepped out into the water? Anyone? This is an audience participation part. <laughs> yeah, just, just one question. What do you think Peter was discovering when he stepped out into the water? Hey, okay. Uh, how to put his trust on? Yeah, how to put his trust on. I'm trying to be cool. How to trust... <laughs> oh, well. It, it didn't work, I know. <laughs> Fail. Um, how to trust. How to trust Jesus. Yes. How to face your fears. How to face, how your, to face fears. your fears. First and foremost, Jesus was proclaiming and confirming who he is, period. As a friend, as a leader, as the divine. The one who appeared in the storm will appear in your storms too. Sometimes the only one who can get you out of your sinking situation is Jesus. Anyone here need to let go and let God? Reach your hand up out of the water and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Hold on to me and don't let go. And Jesus is always teaching lessons in an indirect way, isn't he? We find some valuable lessons in this story. If we call to him in faith, he will lift us above our seemingless impossible situation. This miracle reminds us that fear is unwarranted wherever Jesus is present. Jesus was present in human form with Peter, and he is present in spirit form with us. How do we control our fear? Because fear is a human response, right? We must move into dimensional thinking. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. After Peter is back on the boat safely, the Bible says the wind and the waves stopped and there was calm. And the disciples worshiped Jesus and said, you really are truly the Son of God. We don't have to be perfect for Jesus to love us. Jesus loves imperfect people. Let me tell you a little bit something about Peter. Peter is described as enthusiastic, strong-willed, outspoken and at times brash sounds a lot like me <laughs> Peter was the spokesman of the 12 disciples he was a natural leader and he made mistakes 
Peter took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink, and Jesus helped him. Peter took Jesus aside later on in his life to rebuke him for speaking of his death, and Jesus corrected him. Peter drew his sword and struck the high priest, and Jesus immediately told him to lower his weapon. And Peter boasted that he would never forsake the Lord, and later denied him three times. Throughout Peter's time with Jesus, he sure learned humility, didn't he? But Jesus never left his side. Jesus continued to love him and guide him. Peter had many lessons to learn, and so do we. Humility has nothing to do with meekness or weakness, and neither does it mean being self-effacing or submissive. Humility is an attitude of spiritual modesty that comes from understanding our place in the larger order of things. It entails not taking our desires, successes, or failures too seriously. And mustn't we be ever grateful that Jesus is patient? Faith is not a moral change. It is a discovery. We, like Peter, learn more about who Jesus is and who we are in him. The layers of the onion begin to peel back and Jesus is revealed a little bit more and a little bit more and we begin to understand a little bit more and a little bit more and our faith becomes a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. James 1, 2 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Can you move your thoughts into dimensional thinking? Are you able to trust Jesus enough to call on him first? Jesus is God. God is love. And when you love someone, you're there for them. You support them. You comfort them, you cheer them on, you trust them. You've got their back. Jesus says, I am your God. Eyes on me. I can do the impossible. I got you. The second thing I believe Peter was discovering when he stepped out on the boat was who he is in Christ. The presence of our fear does not mean the absence of God. Peter's lap of faith is merely a stumble, and ours is too. Peter realizes he can't do it without God. He's human. He has human thoughts, human distractions, human desires. He couldn't do it alone, and neither can we. Alatea.org is an online Christian publication that states, in some form or another, the advice of do not be afraid is in the Old and New Testament 365 times. That is a reminder for us each and every day. Who you are in Christ may cause you to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, the safest place to be was on the boat, right? But none of the other disciples experienced the miracle of walking on the water. 
The Lord permits us to try our strength that we may discover our weaknesses. Who are you in Christ? What miracle does God have planned for you? I want to end this with a quote by blogger Siobhan Adams. You can stay in the boat and watch the miracle, but why not step out of the boat and be a part of the miracle? After all, God's got you. Amen. Amen.